Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about cost of living adjustments to Social Security, having kids, and a challenge to our listeners. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Kraftwerk Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you. Hey, good to see you too. You've got some news on the brewery front with an expansion that just opened up. Can we tell our listeners about that? Because I'm I'm super pumped about this. This has been something uh, that I've been kind of you know just hearing the rumblings of for for many months now. But but tell everybody what's going on. Yeah, it was a pretty big weekend for the brewery. It's been well over a year in the works, but we opened our new expansion. And with that comes more production capability. We put a pizza kitchen in-house, which is nice. So people who come will now have an option for food uh, that we make available and more space for activities. That uh, pizza oven and like the the pizza operation has been the thing that I've been following with the greatest interest. For whatever reason, I'm like very excited to come try the pizza there, even though pizza is pretty ubiquitous and and it's not that I can't get pizza near me but I'm I'm really excited to get to try it for the first time. Yeah, I was pretty excited about that too. It's Neapolitan style brick oven pizza. We have a pretty nice menu in place and at least for the area it's a novel thing because we have a lot of kind of typical takeout pizza options available but nothing more upscale. So, we're hoping to to do some pizza and beer pairings and awesome awesome creative concepts with that. No good deed goes unpunished, though. Uh, didn't you already hear from ASCAP about your your expanded space? It's been open for like two days. I did. So ASCAP is the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. It's basically a music licensing um, authority, and they collect money from people who play songs. Understandably so. The artists who write them and perform them want to get paid. Uh, but they are notoriously very challenging to deal with as a business owner. So if you're playing music in your lobby or anything like that, you theoretically need to have a license for that. We pay all of the music publishing people to properly play music in the brewery. But one day after opening our expansion, I get a fun email from whoever's in charge of our account that says, hey, buddy, I see you have uh, an expansion. Can you tell me how many seats you've added so we can update your premiums accordingly? That's unbelievable. What AI do they have that's running that is scanning for that? Or do they just have like a literal huge workforce that's looking for exactly these types of situations? I hope to God it's AI, but I don't think that's the case. My understanding anecdotally is that they have people kind of just scouring their accounts to make sure everyone is on the up and up. So for example, if you have live music and don't have a license for live music, they're going to ding you if they see that you're hosting kind of a movie watch party or something. The movie authorities are going to come in and get you. So you definitely want to be above board with the proper licensing agencies to make sure they don't ding you because those uh, penalties are severe. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Um, well, that's not what our show is about today, but I was excited about it. Wanted to share that with our listeners. What our show is going to be about today 
is cost of living increases. All right. It's party time. Oh, yeah. Everything's getting more expensive, right? It is. But if you're a Social Security recipient, you've got a raise coming. Uh, And so this was just announced that the cost of living adjustment for Social Security, this is going to take effect in December, 8.7%. That's a really big raise, and we generally in our modeling assume that Social Security is going to go up a little bit slower than actual costs go up. We, we kind of build it in as a lag most of the time where we're going to say, hey, Social Security, yeah, it's going to increase, but not that much relative to how your costs are going up. I think that that's still true here. The inflation rates have been hot. It kind of depends on what your spending categories are. But an 8.7% raise for somebody that's on a fixed income, or even if Social Security is just a part of your kind of total income and and retirement spending mix, that's still a big deal. And so um, I think for for folks that are on that plan already and are taking those distributions, that's going to feel like a nice bump. Definitely. If if Social Security is a meaningful part of your income, that's you know that's going to be a big help. And on the other side of the coin, they've also announced cuts to Medicare premiums, which is another way to help alleviate some of the pressure that a lot of Americans are feeling as costs of everything goes up around them. Now, who's this not good news for? Uh, I think it's Me? people like us, you? Dan. <laughs> right. The, the increases to that cost of living adjustment, especially for a younger investor, I think uh, put it at much higher risk and, and much higher threat of running through um, the certainly the Social Security Trust, which is estimated to run dry, you know, sometime between like 2030, 2033. Uh, I think it's going to mean that they have to come back in and, and re-legislate on Social Security to either increase the revenue side somehow, uh, which again, they're already doing. So in line with this Social Security increase on cost of living, the amount of income that is subject to Social Security taxes is also going up to about $160,000. Dan, I don't know if it just hit me strangely, but I was shocked that they estimate only 6% of Americans are affected by that maximum in- income range. Uh, I don't know if that's just because we're in the D.C. area or happens to be the business that we're in, but that surprised me that it wasn't a larger percentage of Americans that were dealing with that. Yeah, that was surprising to me too. What I will say though is probably the 6% or at least a good portion of the 6% that are capping out have a significant amount of income above that range that isn't being taxed. So, you know, I think that's probably easy um low-hanging fruit to go after if you're looking to increase revenue or there're probably some other things they'll get into, but um, when we do planning, even though the trust may run dry, at least the reserves they have may run dry in the future, it is a pay-as-you-go system. So in theory, people are constantly paying into that pot to pay out the benefits that people are claiming currently. I don't think that is good news. I mean, it, maybe it means something will be there for us, but being conservative in our planning for Social Security down the road um, is very prudent to make sure that you're doing what you need to do to shore up your retirement plans. Yeah. I don't think that there's a situation where it's going to go to 0% payout, certainly not while there's people continuing to pay into it. We've talked about this a little bit in the past, but I think the likely outcomes are either that they keep increasing the amount of income that gets taxed uh, with those Social Security amounts. So you know, we're going from 147 to 160 already. 
they could continue to extend that and just uh, apply that tax on higher and higher income earners. They could cut the benefit or means test it. They might continue to move the age up that you can file. So right now you can file at 62 and you get delays and increases all the way up to 70. So yeah, there's a bunch of different ways that they can kind of shore this up. But for a younger investor, I do tend to handicap it. And and I actually did a plan this week where I showed a 50% reduction to Social Security just as, a, as part of a stress test. Again, that wasn't my expectation, but I just wanted to show what it would look like with half of that expected benefit being completely removed. Um, thankfully, that plan still looked really good. But uh, so, you know, what as we're doing this sort of modeling for people, I, I do think for younger people, you've got to handicap that Social Security benefit a little bit and just see, make sure you're still on track. And if you get it, great, but don't don't put yourself in a situation where you absolutely require it to be there if you can help it. This is a little bit of a divergence from our, our core topic here, but I saw something interesting in a plan I was working on recently. And probably not all people know this, but some employers pay wages that are not covered by Social Security. You do not pay Social Security tax on, on wages from some employers. Typically, those are state employers if you're working for the state. And uh, the person who's plan I was looking at had one of these one such non-covered wage plan. There's a more delicate way to say that. Their wages were not covered by Social Security. They did not pay the 6.2% Social Security tax that most others do. What the employer did, which I thought was interesting, was they still collected that money as a way of forcing people to save into a retirement plan. So they required you to put 6.2% into a retirement plan as an employee within this um, state-run system, which is sneaky, but I think is actually really cool because for many people, Social Security makes up such a big percentage of your retirement income. And if you weren't forced to put that aside, you know, you might not have as many safety nets otherwise, and you could spend that money easily on anything. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen that much, but um, that that's definitely uh, something to be aware of. The other spot that the inflation and cost of living adjustments has presented itself lately, the cost to raise children. Now, Dan, I'm not a parent. You are. So I feel like you're kind of our resident expert on this and probably feel it a lot more than I do directly. But this report that came out, and I'm looking right now at a Washington Post article titled, What Does It Cost to Raise a Child? And their new estimate, it's this, I think it's actually from the Brookings Institute, and they're, they're kind of opining on it, $17,000 a year from the day that a baby is born to turning 18, which is a combined $310,000 to raise a child. Does that number shock you? It's always shocking to see a lump sum number like that, but when you break it out and say $17,000 a year, that doesn't shock me so much, especially if you're paying for, you know, right now my daughter's in preschool. I mean, we're using that up and more just for that one thing, let alone food and other daily things, the shoes she grows out of every month and the clothes she grows out of every month. So it's it's easy to blow past that number, especially if you're in an expensive area. We'll put a link to the Washington Post article in the uh, description for this show because I actually think that it, this is a really interesting way to present it. Because what they end up breaking down here is based on different income ranges and then different ages for a child, kind of where they think that that money is going, splitting it between housing, education, food, transportation, health, clothes, and 
miscellaneous. So I, I think this is actually a really cool way to present this. You know, the thing that has always troubled me a little bit, I'm using troubled loosely here, but from a planning perspective to say, yeah, it's going to cost $17,000 a year to raise a child. Okay, great. That's a that's a really nice estimate to have. That's obviously going to vary with everybody's situation. But it's not necessarily a $17,000 increase, right? I would suggest that for most people, it is a shift in their consumption pattern when they have a kid for the first time rather than a pure increase. Yes, it might be some increase, but you're probably going out less in terms of dinners. You might be traveling differently. You might be doing road trips and local things rather than flying internationally, at least for the first few years, because it's tough to travel like that. Some people do it and and absolutely can. But uh, does that track for you, Dan? Was that your experience? Yeah. First, you're certainly giving up spontaneous things. So if a friend calls you and says, we're going out tonight, that's a hard no most of the time because you can't secure childcare on an hour's notice to go sing karaoke in DC or whatever it may be. The types of restaurants you go to change, like you said, trips change. Um, so I I think it's not a dollar to dollar increase in consumption, which can make modeling hard because if if you know that raising a child costs an average of seventeen thousand dollars a year, it's not necessarily a matter of sticking an extra seventeen thousand dollars a year into your budget, which can look you know if you're hoping to have children. That could be scary and that might deter you or, or you know, might lead to some decisions that you wouldn't have otherwise needed to make. Um, so it's important to really dive down and see what your life might look like uh, if you were to take that step and, and start a family. Yeah, I mean, just thinking at a larger level, one of the, I'm going to call it a problem. I, I do think it's a problem that we face as Americans is a reduction in population. Right. So, I mean, if you look at the economy and that this is this gets into my like kind of doomsday theories, I am not a uh, particularly negative person when it comes to thinking about finances. Right. I'm a stock market guy that that requires some inherent level of optimism. But when I get into kind of a negative spiral, it tends to be around this topic. If you've got a reduction in workforce, that is not good for, for GDP growth. Right. When we look at the sources of GDP growth, what has to happen is either more people or more productivity per person. Those are the only two ways GDP grows. Uh, And so if you're expecting over the next 50 years, the American economy and the world economy to continue to improve, you need either more efficiency and more production per person, or you need more people. So if we're not having kids, uh, Granted, I'm part of the problem right now. I don't have any children, but uh, that is not necessarily great. And then to see things like this get published, I think makes it more difficult for people to envision themselves having children, especially if you're already feeling tight financially today, and then you're reading it going, well, yeah, it's going to cost an extra $17,000 to have a kid. You're like, where am I going to even possibly come up with that? Uh, Where the reality is that most people end up making it work. Right. People make it work. Um, you also get some tax incentives for having children, right? Having a dependent on your tax return gives you some of that money back. So a little bit less pressure than that $17,000 dictates. And then lastly, we talk about a retirement spending smile. There's also kind of a child spending smile where it's very front loaded and back loaded for the most part when you have kids early on, they need more care, more stuff. They're growing quickly. They're using diapers, growing through clothes every couple months whatever it may be. And then towards the tail end where they're very heavy in activities, they might be doing more school prep and tutoring and things like that. 
But there's a point in the middle where it, you know, dies down a tiny bit because they don't require as much attention. They might not be as involved in either the academic or extracurriculars activities as they might be later. And then the last thing is two kids isn't necessarily twice as much. So there are some economies of scale there where one person could watch two kids if you need a babysitter. You don't need a one-to-one ratio there, at least probably not for most kids. Yeah, if you needed if you needed individual babysitters for each kid, you've you've got something else going on there. You've got to match the babysitter with the play style of the of the kid. <laughs> I'm I'm sure there's people out there advocating <laughs> for that. So I, I I don't know. Yeah, it just seems uh, like it's it's a challenge when people are already nervous about finances, right? You've got to get yourself to a spot where you feel comfortable making that decision. Uh, and again, you know, speaking from a a place of a little bit of ignorance there, but uh, you're never going to feel ready, right? No, not at all. I mean, we we didn't do a whole lot of financial prep before we had our kid. You know, we've quickly found out the places where there was pressure in our budget and had to adjust on the fly. Even even from the very beginning, like having a kid, the doctor's bills and the the hospital visits, like I think for many people. That's a large unknown. Like, hopefully, you're preparing and know a little bit about what your insurance is going to cover. But, you know, everyone's path towards childbirth is different. And there's like, you know, the easy, happy path. And, but then for most folks, you know, maybe you have a couple extra doctor visits that you didn't plan on. And maybe things are tougher than, you know, than they seem in the movies or whatever. So you could start off with a large expense that you weren't expecting very easily. So Dan, I want to finish our show today with a challenge that you and I have talked about very loosely, but I actually think that this is a good time of year to do this. Heading into the holidays, I seem to always accumulate stuff. Just more things come into my home, whether those be gifts. And, and again, I'm appreciative of, of, of things like that, but I just tend to like have things that pile up and I end up with more things during the holiday season uh, than maybe I intended to or, or have at the moment. I would like to start a decluttering process now. And the way that I'm going to do that, and I'm going to challenge you to do it as well, Dan, let's pick one thing a week to either... I, I'm going to say sell, right? I, I, I would like to turn this into a like slightly guilt-free pile of cash. And I think I, I don't think we need to compete on the item and like what we sell it for. But I would like to choose one thing a week to start decluttering the home. And I, I don't know, do you want to do this over the next like five weeks and, and see if we can have some fun with it? Yeah, let's do that. I'm ready. So whether you go Facebook Marketplace, whether you go Craigslist, whether you go Nextdoor, none of that matters. The challenge that we're going to do is every week for the next five weeks, we are going to come back on this show and tell people what we have sold or gotten rid of as part of the process. Okay, I love it. I like it for several reasons. First, a pile of guilt-free cash never hurts anyone. Uh, and I need some space in the house. So I'm going for bulk, Ross. I'm looking for the largest items that I would otherwise feel okay getting rid of and uh, try to create some some living space for me and the fam. I'm just picturing you like shifting your couch out of your home like later today. Just just throwing <laughs> like really large items out out onto the front lawn to see if you can get rid of them. I did do a yard sale a while back. This was years ago. And uh, Adrian was not present while I attended this yard sale. And I threw some of our stuff up there. And when she arrived, she picked all of her things off the rack. She's like, what? You're going to sell this? You're going to get rid of that? 
uh, they were all things that if I asked her to find them, she would have never known where they were and wouldn't have known they were missing. Uh, I might have to do this in secret as well. That's the worst part of it, right? Is that you wouldn't think about these things. Like I'm, I'm sure I've got stuff in my garage right now that I haven't looked at since I moved in and, and like literally placed it there. And at the same time, when I look at it, I start coming up with use cases, right? You start coming up for, with all the like, well, this is how I might use this thing once you're staring at it. If somebody had simply gotten rid of it for me, I would never think about it again. Like I almost need somebody to do this for me and make these decisions. But obviously, that's the, that's the tough part. But I'm going to challenge our listeners, if you are also worried about clutter, whether it's current clutter or just holiday season inbound clutter that you're going to have, I'm going to challenge you to join us on this. Send us an email. Check your balances at Outlook.com. Let us know what you are able to unload. I think this would be a fun thing. Uh, We do still have some mugs. I'm going to ship some out this week. I've been a little bit behind on getting those to folks that have written into the show. But if you'd like a check your balances mug, let us know. Uh, We'd love to uh, send one your way if you're contributing to the show. So uh, that's our challenge. That's going to be coming up in the next few weeks. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. 